welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. God is outside of it all, and He sees the good. And He's like, I see your pain. I've heard your cries. I know your suffering. But I also see what I'm doing. He sees the bigger picture. Does that make sense? And so the reason why I say that is because what we're going to see today is that though the Israelites felt like they were all alone, like God was absent, God was far from them, God was actually plotting, God was doing something that they couldn't see, and he was going to let them in on the plan to show them how he was going to redeem them. And so this morning, as we look through the story, however far God seems in your own life, however absent he may seem, know that in Christ, he is doing something. He's making things for good, and he's promised to redeem us and to change us and bring everything in our lives for good. Amen? Amen. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today as we look at this story in Exodus chapter 3. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for just your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. I ask, Holy Spirit, will you please fill me up? If you do not show up in these times, it doesn't matter how much studying I've done. It doesn't matter how much prep I've done. It doesn't matter how clear I speak or eloquent I speak. It would be pointless if you don't show up. It would be in vain if you don't show up. And so I ask in the name of Jesus, please, Holy Spirit, Fill me and fill us all up. Control us. Give us, open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to understand your word. Illuminate the scriptures to us. And let this story just excite us about who you are and what you're doing. Please, God, will you do that for us? And Jesus, we know we have your spirit because of what you've done. So I thank you, Jesus, for your atonement. I thank you for your sacrifice what you did on the cross for us, to give us access to the Father. So please, Holy Spirit, give us access to the Father through you. Um, Give us access to understand more deeply of your truths in your Scripture. And please, bring these truths to life in us. Please, meet with us. Be with us. Praise things in your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, up to this point... If you guys were with us last week and the um, weeks before, we've gone through Exodus chapter 1 and 2, and we've seen the Israelites in suffering. They've been in slavery to the Egyptians at least for now 80 years. The first 40 years, it was Pharaoh was killing their baby, their baby boys. Pharaoh was putting them into slavery. Then a man rises up that was a Jew but was raised by the Egyptians, Moses, and he he grows up to be 40 years old. He tries to save them. He ends up killing an Egyptian, and because of fear, he runs away. And the Israelites now have been just in slavery for, again, another 40 years, while Moses has now been in Midian for 40 years. He gets a wife. You know, he has a kid, seems like things are going good, but he's even probably beat down. 
and it seems like God is absent. And in chapters 1 and 2, God is barely mentioned at all. And I think it's purposeful because that's how they felt. They felt like God wasn't there. God was absent. But at the end of chapter 2, we see a glimpse of God's behind the scenes, the bigger picture of what he's doing. So if you can with me, look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of the slavery, man, the Israelites feel probably far from God, feel forgotten by God, and we get to see the bigger picture. God is actually remembering them. God is plotting to save them. God, it says God sees, God hears, and God knows, and he's gonna come down and we get to see this transition of how he comes down so look with me as god is plotting as we see that now look at verse one of chapter three now it says now moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law jethro the priest of midian and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to horeb the mountain of god I don't know about you, but when I read that, I just, I just feel like, you know, Israelites are, feel absent, Israelites feel hopeless, and God is plotting, and then it transitions and it says, now Moses. You know, Moses is supposed to be, it seems like, the hero of the story, yet when I read this, it seems like he's just, you know, even though God's plotting, he's just wandering around, going to like another site with his sheep, like, all right, let's go somewhere else. For 40 years, he's just probably been beaten down by his past. Going like, man, I killed that guy, I failed, I was supposed to do this, I should have done that. And now here he is, just like, 80-year-old man, just taking care of sheep. And what's interesting, it's not even his flock, it's the flock of his father-in-law. And he's just wandering around, now Moses is doing this, he's just wandering around, pointless, hopeless, aimless, it seems like. But God is going to do three things. He's going to first reveal himself to Moses. He's going to reveal um, his promise that he has for the Israelites. And he's going to reveal the purpose and calling that God has for Moses. So that's what we'll see in this passage. So look with me. Um, verse 2. So he's wandering around. He's just going to another mountain. He's hanging out with his sheep or his father-in-law's sheep. And verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And so, when we read a narrative, we should always try and place ourselves in there. You know, so think about it. He's wandering around this wilderness, with this mountain with his sheep, and he randomly sees a bush on fire, yet it's not consumed. And I don't know about you, but I think it's funny what he says. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I don't know about you, but like me, I would not be that eloquent. I'd be like, oh my gosh, what, what the heck? You know, I don't know, just super dumb probably. But 
I just always think about that, like, what was he thinking when he's seeing the bush? He's like, hmm, I will see this wonderful sight. Wow, that's cool. That is amazing. Let me just go approach this. I don't know about you, but I would think someone was probably there. I'd be scared. Or, I don't know, it just doesn't show the emotion of Moses. It just makes him sound like all logical and thinking through this. Like, it's no big deal. Like, he sees burning bushes that don't get consumed every day. I don't know, this would be a weird sight. And so it just doesn't show that. So when we read narratives, we should always try and place ourselves in there. Like, what would we be thinking? You know, so he, he goes up to this, this burning bush, and then, you know, God has placed this flame, this fire, to kind of get Moses' attention. And then verse 4, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses! And he said, here I am. Like, even that's weird. Like, I don't know, a bush starts talking to you. He's just, oh, here I am. Like, why would you say that? First of all, I don't know. I think that's weird. Oh, hey, what's up? You know, what's up, little bush? Like, I don't know why. I'd be like, oh, crap. You know, take my sheep and run. Um, All right. But he's like, all right, here I am. Then verse 5, then he said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I think the Prince of Egypt and even that Exodus movie has messed up this scene for us. You know, they totally jacked it up. But what's happening is he's coming near towards this bush. You know, he's looking at it. He's intrigued. God sees him. God calls him and goes, Moses, Moses. And he goes, here I am. He goes, stop. Don't come closer Take, take your sandals off your feet. Most of us think God stops him to take off his shoes and then says, come here closer. No, God stops him, says, take off your shoes, and he never tells him to come closer again. Isn't that interesting? But I don't know why, but in our minds we think like, he goes, take off your shoes, now come closer. Like you can approach me because your shoes are off. No, he goes, stop, don't come closer. Take off your sandals. And he never gives him a command to come closer. Why? Because the place on which he's standing is holy ground. And if he were to come closer, we'll see throughout the Old Testament, if you come close to God and you're impure, you will either die or you'll be transformed. And in this case, he probably would have died. And I think it's cool that God shows up as a fire, that that's one of the representations that he chooses to manifest himself is because it shows that he is dangerous like man what you know is was Moses going to touch it and I think that's a grace of God that he shows up that way that he shows that he is dangerous that he consumes things he's a consuming fire he's not something to be played with especially by impure people unholy people God is holy and righteous, and anything impure will get destroyed by this God. And so he shows up as a flame, a fire, and he tells Moses to stop. doesn't tell him to come near. He stops right there. And then God reveals himself. And I don't know about you, I think it's interesting that until right now, Moses isn't scared. It doesn't seem like it at least. But look what happens. So verse 5, then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So now we see Moses get scared. And it's because God reveals himself to Moses. You know, why wasn't Moses scared before with just the flame? But what scared him was the revelation of who this God was. And I wonder if it's because he was so scared of how the Israelites accepted him that he just now finds out that this is the God of the Israelites, that he's now scared because he feels like an enemy to them. He feels like, does he think that this God, since he's the God of the Israelites, isn't going to accept him? I wonder if that's what's going on or if it's solely because it's the presence of God. It's who God is. And if you look at God, if you see him for who he is, you'll die. Like it says, no one can see me and live. You know, because God is that holy. And it just seems like regardless of what is happening there, once God reveals himself in word and gives him who he is, that's when Moses hides his face and can't look at him. Isn't that crazy? It wasn't the flame. It wasn't the bush not burning. It was the knowledge of who this God is. And again, it's just weird that Moses is talking to a bush. This isn't happening to him every day, guys. Like he's 80 years old and this is the first time and he acts like it's like nothing to him. I just think that's weird. So God reveals himself to Moses. And then verses 7 through 9 God reveals his promise to redeem Israel. Look at it with me. So verses 7 through 9. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So what's this promise that you know, God is making to them? Is that he's going to free them from the power of the Egyptians and then give them something better, give them a land. He's not just going to take them out to nothing just to wander in the wilderness, even though it seems that way later in the story. He has something better for them in the future. He has something greater for his people in the future. And what's really cool about this is that he uses those words. He goes, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know they're suffering. And he goes, because of this, I've come down. Imagine if God said that about where you're at today. Wouldn't that be cool? How encouraging would that be? Yeah, I see where you're at. I see the affliction. I see the marital problems. I see what you're going through. I see the pain and the depression. Man, I've heard your cries. I've, I'm hearing your prayers. I know it, and I've come down. But hasn't he done that in the person and work of Jesus Christ? He has seen. He has heard. He does know our suffering. And he's come down in the person of Jesus Christ to not only fulfill that promise to the Israelites, but for us. Isn't that good? And what's crazy is 
He says this to Moses, so this, you know, God's talking to him. He's like, hey, I've heard the cry of my people. I've seen it. I know it. I'm coming down. And then he reveals God's calling on Moses and his purpose for Moses. Look at verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, think, think of yourself. Imagine you're talking to this bush on fire. You know, there's a voice coming from it, and God goes, I've seen my people. They're enslaved. They're hurting. They're in pain. I've heard their cries. I'm going to save them. I've come down. I will deliver them. Hey, I'm going to send you to do that. What do you think Moses hears? You know, does Moses hear, oh, God's going to do all this? No. Look at the passage, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's like Moses neglected everything God said. He just paid attention to the last instructions. Like, I'm going to send you. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who am I? I'm a nobody. These people don't even like me. The Egyptians don't like me. Israelites don't like me. I'm not your best pick. And who am I that I should go to them? And what's so reassuring, God doesn't answer his question. Look what he says. Verse 12, God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I think it's weird that Moses, that's Moses' response. Like, I feel like I'm always kind of telling God, man, if only I had the experience of Moses. If only I just saw, God, if you would speak to me through a bush, I would have more faith. You know, God, if, you, if only I could have saw you split the Red Sea, I would have more faith. God, if only I could have, you know, experienced what Paul experienced, I would have more faith. Oh, it's just unfair, you know, I haven't experienced you like that. But if we were honest with ourselves, haven't we all had a real experience with a living God that has transformed us, that we know that He is real? Like, that's why we're here, right? Is because we all, most of us have had a real experience with God that has changed us. And we all, like Moses, have been very pathetic in our faith. That's okay because God's gracious. But haven't we all had these questions with God? He goes, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel, baptize people. And you go, who am I? I'll send somebody else. And God's like, but I'll be with you. I'm the one that commissioned you. Like, you're not the one that tells yourself, you go. I tell you to go. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to be with you. Isn't that reassuring, guys? So, like, we have to give Moses, I think, some grace, because I think we would do the same thing. If we were honest with ourselves, we would do the same thing that Moses is doing. Even though it's in the midst of this miraculous sign that he's saying, we would be just like him, going, who am I, God? And he has multiple objections to God after this. We'll only look at one more, but look at what he says. So God tells him, but I will be with you. He doesn't tell him, Moses, but you're pretty cool. You're pretty good. Like he doesn't comfort Moses the way we would comfort Moses. We'd be like, Moses, you got, you got wisdom. You're 80 years old. You got, you know, you got street cred. You killed somebody. You know, you, you grew up in the Egyptians and you're Israelite. You got this. We would be doing that. You're like, hey, you're pretty cool. You still look pretty good for 80. You know, your knees are good. You know, and we would be trying to comfort him for what he has. And God goes like, 
yeah, you are a piece of crap, but I'm with you. Like, yeah, yeah, who are you? I don't know, but I'm with you. Isn't that cool? And so many times the reason why we doubt the calling that God has had on us is because we're looking at us. I think of that all the time when I'm preaching. Like, seriously, like, apart from the Spirit, my messages would be just a bunch of mumbling and, like, a guy walking around doing this, you know. But with the Spirit, it actually works. People get encouraged. It blows my mind every time. You know, who am I? But it's the God that comes with me. It's the God that has filled us and that comes with us and that calls us and sends us. So when we start to look inward, we need to repent and look outward. We need to look to God and remember that even Jesus commands that. He goes, go, behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. He says that same thing to us as he commissions us. But yeah, and then Moses, so he hears this, but I will be with you. Look at verse 13. He even says he'll give him a sign, but verse 13 he says, Then Moses said to God, okay, you know, all right, I get it. You'll be with me. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, in this passage, I feel like it sounds like Moses is kind of coming along. Oh, now he's being obedient. But what we'll see is he's actually later on in chapter 4, he actually starts to go like, no, not me. They're not going to accept me. They're not going to like me. And then later in chapter 4, he goes, no, send somebody else. Please not me. And so it seems like Moses is doing that thing where people go like, hey, do you want this? And you go, no. But in your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, I really do. But I want them to ask me again. Like you're like, oh, no, I don't want that. And just trying to be nice. And then they don't ask you. You're like, dang it, I really wanted it. You're supposed to ask me again. I feel like Moses is doing that, like trying to not tell God his true thoughts of that he really doesn't want to do this, but he's like, okay, so fine. Here's another objection, like, okay, who am I? You answered that one. All right, now, all right, what if I go to them? I don't even know your name. Again, he's going like, why are you sending me? But again, God is gracious and kind and patient with him and answers him. Look what he says. God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what's his name? I am who I am. Say, I am sent me. What does that mean? Does it mean that he's eternal? It's just he is who he is. It could also be translated, I will be who I will be. It's just he's God. He's creator. He's almighty. He is who he is. He's unchanging. He's immutable. He will always be who he will be. And to the Israelites hearing that, and to Moses hearing that, knowing the stories of who he is should be a great comfort. He is the same God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. The stories that you read about, that you heard about, that's the same God. He is who he is. You know, I think about it like when we're going through problems like financial problems or marital problems, I always think about it like, man, we serve the God of Moses. He split the Red Sea. He did these plagues. He did everything, these mighty works. What's a marital problem to that God? He is who he is. He's never changing. He's immutable. 
He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. He's the same God. The same God we serve is the same God in the Old Testament. What is a marital problem? What is a financial problem to a God like that? He is who he is. And one thing that's cool, so he goes, verse 14, I say I am sent me to you. And then verse 15, look at verse 15. This is important. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Do you guys see in your passage that it's all caps? Do you guys see that? The Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all caps Lord. And most people don't know that that is code for the personal name of God. Because Lord, what Lord means is just master. You know, that's a synonym for Lord is master. And like a famous song we sing is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, that first load, Lord is O Lord in Psalm 8 is all caps. And then our Lord is lowercase, is master. And so what's this personal name of God and why do we translate it just all caps Lord? The personal name of God is most likely he will be. And so he goes, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Well, his name that he takes, that he goes, tell them, you know, that this person sent you is he will be. And so instead of Moses saying, I am sent me, is he will be sent me. He will be Yahweh. And what happens traditionally, I'll just give a, you know, a tangent on this, is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew readers were so scared of saying God's name that when they would write it, they would take out the vowels and just leave the consonants. So they put Y-H-W-H and take the vowels out. And so that they would prevent anybody from saying it when they read. Isn't that crazy? And they were even more scared, so they said, like, well, let's, let's make a code word so that people for sure didn't accidentally pronounce the, word, the name. And so what they did is they took the consonants Y-H-W-H and took the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord, took the vowels from that, A-O-A-I, and put it underneath or within Yahweh, or the Y-H-W-H. And it came up with a word that was a made-up word, Yahowah. You know, it's a made-up word. That's where we get translated the word Jehovah. And so that's not the personal name of God. Jehovah is not the personal. It's a made-up word, a code word, just like this Lord with all caps. And I say this because we need to know where Scripture is saying the personal name of God, Yahweh. He will be. It's really cool. And from Exodus chapter 1 and 2, Yahweh, that name is nowhere to be found. In Exodus chapter 3, it's said seven times. And from here on out, in all of Exodus, in every chapter, it's going to be mentioned at least like five times, every chapter. Only chapters it's not mentioned, one and two. Because God seemed distant, God seemed far away, but he's a God that comes down and becomes personal to his people. Isn't that good? And so from here on out, because he comes down and meets Moses, even the writer, probably Moses, starts to now use the word, the name Yahweh. And we saw it in chapter 2, 4, 7, 15, you know, 16. You know, it was all over this chapter. 
God is a personal God that comes down. Though He's a holy fire that we cannot approach unless He allows us or without being destroyed, He comes down and makes a way. And He's doing it to redeem His people. And I think we would do it injustice if we didn't try to see the bigger picture. Yes, this is a true story. Israel was really enslaved or in slavery to the Egyptians. Yes, Israel really had their babies killed by Pharaoh. Yes, Moses really ran away and was 80 years old and all this stuff. This is a real story. But what's cool is God also uses this as to paint, you know, to show a bigger story. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to the redemption of the world. And yes, Pharaoh was an enemy, but we know for a fact that Pharaoh in Egypt was not Israel's greatest enemy. We know for a fact that Pharaoh in Egypt was not Israel's greatest problem. The greatest problem started in the garden where a serpent deceived the woman and the man. And so Jesus comes He has heard our cries. He has seen our affliction. He knows and knew our suffering. And the great I am comes down as a man to experience, not just know it, but to experience it, to live the life that we were called to live and die the death we were called to die. Isn't that crazy? Look with me real quick. John 8, 58. So John chapter 8, verse 58. We'll just start in verse 56. So, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, Jesus is speaking. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And look what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Wow. What do they do? Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is claiming to be the great I am that met Moses in the garden or in this mountaintop. And he goes, before Abraham was, I am. They go, you're not even 50 years old. And he goes, I'm eternal mind blown or just angry they're just angry after this and look at look at it with me um john 18 so jesus is right here it's the night of his betrayal he's in the garden of gethsemane judas approaches him kisses him betrays him he's with all these soldiers to come get jesus look at verse 4 then jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. In your translation, it might say, I am he, just to make sense grammatically. But in the Greek, it's literally just I am. And look what happens. So he says, I am he, or I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
So as he just reveals, like Moses, when he hides his face, when God reveals to him who he is, in the same way in the garden, when he's about to be betrayed and taken to go die, he reveals just a little piece of who he is. He goes, I am. And these soldiers just fall to the ground. And look what Jesus does. It's pretty funny. He's like, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. It's like, he's like, get up. Like, I told you I was right here. But they couldn't even stand in the presence of him. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that so cool? As he reveals who he is, he is the great I am. He is the one that comes down. He's the better Moses, the better mediator. He's not scared he comes forward. Though he's in the garden to get um, tempted to fall away, he goes, God, if it's possible, take this cup for me. But instead of being scared, he goes, not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up. Praise God he got up. And there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great I am that met Moses in the garden and that solves our greatest need in the world. Not just solves Pharaoh, not just solves Egypt, solves the problem that we were slaves to the devil. And so where do we find ourselves in this? I think as we think through Exodus and think through this passage, what are you dealing with right now? Does God seem far from you? Does God seem distant? Does it seem like you can only look in your current situation right now, your marital problem, your job, your anxiety, your fear of man, your financials, your schooling, does it just feel like all, you're just being bombarded with all these problems? I think I, I want to remind you, God sees it, God hears your prayers, and God knows it. He is our great high priest that can sympathize with all of our weaknesses because he was tempted in all ways yet without sin. He knows your suffering. He knows your problems, and he actually came down to take those. He is the God that comes down to free us. And so wherever you're at, pray that God would help you to see the bigger picture. Pray that God would help you to look outside of yourselves and see the promises that he has for you. He says he's working all things for our good. That's true whether we believe it or not. Because he's God, we're not. His plans are, you know, reality's plans our plans are fake our plans are not real our plans don't always come to fruition but God's plans always do he is God we are not and so wherever we find ourselves know that Jesus is victorious Jesus is king Jesus is sovereign we are not the devil's not this world is not doesn't matter what's going on no matter where we find ourselves God is with us, God loves us, and he's paved a way through the person and work of Jesus Christ to free us from all of our sin, not just forgive us of our sin, but to free us from the power of sin. And one day, just like he takes Egypt, or Israel out of Egypt, he will take us out of this world, redeem the world, and change it, and we'll be with God like we were in the garden, dwelling with him forever with the great I Am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
And you are just such a faithful God to us. You are so good to us. I just don't know how to explain it sometimes. It's, I know I do it injustice because you are so magnificent, so wonderful. And I know we experience it at times. And we just can't put it to words. And so I'm, I'm sorry, God, if I've just presented you not good enough or in the wrong way. Please forgive me for that. Help us to see you for who you are. Give us eyes to see you better, more clearly. Help us to see you holy. Help us to see you as faithful. Help, help us to see you as eternal, everlasting, powerful, almighty. Please, God, give us faith. And wherever we're at, God, help us to take just a step closer to you. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are with us. Please help us to stop looking at ourselves for assurance. Please help us to stop looking at ourselves to know whether we're good enough. We're not. Who are we? But you're with us. You love us. You care for us. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for always being with us. Help us to not grieve you. Help us to give of ourselves to you. And please sanctify us. Set us apart for a purpose, for a plan, for your glory, your praise, your honor. And I know you're doing that through your people throughout the world in thousands and thousands of churches. You have set apart people to change this world because you care about this world. Please, Lord, help us. Give us strength. Give us faith. Give us excitement to walk the walk that you've called us to walk to live the life that you called us to live. Praise things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.